And I think we'll see that today, that there are, you can get a, a service level understanding, even a child can grasp these truths, but as we dig in and deep, we're not going to go deep enough to drown an elephant today, we just don't have time, but I do encourage you to, to use this as a beginning point, um, to dig into these verses. There's a lot more here than what we're going to have time to get to today, and uh, I think that if you spent time, then I know God would bless that, uh, the time and effort that you would spend in there. Um, our lesson today is going to be about leavers, liars, deniers, and non-abiders, all right? And I believe John uh, presents this case here, and uh, this is actually all one group. The leavers, liars, deniers, and non-abiders are all the antichrists, um, and uh, so that's the section that he's going to be talking about, and we're going to read this. I would invite you to stand with me out of respect for the Word of God as I read 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27. The Bible says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Pray with me. Our Father, as we look into your word this morning, we, uh, we are confident that it has all we need for life and godliness. And so we ask you to help us to understand that you would teach us um, from your words, Lord, that it would not be my words that are heard, but it would be yours spoken through me this morning, that uh, it would be um, spoken with clarity, that your message would come through and pierce hearts and uh, be received by ears who are those who have ears to hear. And uh, so we just pray that you'd bless this time in a special way and teach us from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, antichrists. What do you think of when you hear the word antichrist? You, you can speak, that's okay. Against Christ, absolutely, absolutely right. That doesn't get any simpler than that. That's the uh, most basic understanding. Um, so when we think of someone who's against Christ, I think our normal thought is Satan, right? Um, you may get theological, say, well, all mankind is against... Well, you're right, too. Um, but I think if we were to put it on a point, Satan. Now, I think that what we see here, though, is... If we think in terms of like other things that we experience and see around here in our daily lives, Satan would not be an antichrist, right? He would be an opponent 
you know, the uh, one at war with, you know, directly in confrontation with. So to help us to understand this word of Antichrist, I began to think, what, what is this word? How do we understand this? How can we put this into what do we associate with in our daily lives that we can bring into this understanding? And it came to me the idea of an anti-hero. You know, I love movies, so you know, I've got to work in some movie op- um, topics here. What's an anti-hero? What? The anti-hero is not actually the villain, okay? Um, the villain would be the bad guy who's opposing the hero, but some stories don't have a hero. Some stories have an anti-hero. And for those who may not understand, this is the person who kind of does, serves as the purpose, serves in the role of the hero, but he's not really heroic. He may not have heroic motives. He may not do heroic um, ways of doing things. He may ultimately kind of accomplish some of the goals of a hero, but he's not really somebody we would emulate. Okay, He doesn't do it the way the hero would do it. He doesn't do it for the reasons the hero would do it. Anybody think of a famous anti-hero? What? Tony Stark. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think I could argue against that. He, you know, some, some would, but I wouldn't. You know, certainly he does accomplish some heroic things, but it's usually for his own good, his own, his own self-aggrandization. Um, it's not always, yeah, I mean, so he's got a heart of gold deep, deep, deep inside. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, he's, it's selfish. It's selfish motives. Good, good example. Who else? Walter White from Breaking Bad, the chemistry teacher, um, terminal cancer diagnosed meth cook, right? Is that the one? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so this whole story, this whole season, I don't know how many seasons it was, a dozen seasons or something about this guy who's going through his life and just a mild-mannered guy. And he uh, becomes the stories about him and he makes all this money and provides for his family but he doesn't do it in a good way. <laughs> we would not want to emulate him in any way, shape, or form. Who else? I see a hand back there. Lucas? The Hulk? You think the Hulk's anti-hero? Yeah, I guess so. Because he's a good-hearted guy, but when he goes green, he just smashes, right? Yeah, that wouldn't be the, the mode we would normally use. Stephen, are you adjusting your hat or you have... Captain Jack, I actually had him in my notes. Captain Jack Sparrow, certainly, you know, um, the, most, uh, the worst pirate you've ever heard of. <laughs> and uh, I, love the, I love the first movie. They kind of went downhill after that. But, uh, yeah, certainly the, uh, the character was one who, you know, accomplished some good in the end. But, again, you know, not in heroic way. I also had um, the Terminator in Terminator 2. Dating myself here, you know, he came, he was, you know, a killing machine who killed, um, but he was there to help protect and do it in a unique way. Um, Riddick, if you uh, saw Pitch Black or the Chronicles of Riddick, the guy who saved a few people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> certainly himself, <laughs> and, uh, but he was, you know, nobody was heroic on that planet, uh, but he was the uh, closest one. Um, some old westerns would have anti-heroes, Fistful of Dollars, if you love any of the old Clint Eastwood movies or something like that. You'd have anti-heroes who would uh, come in, good guys wear black and that sort of thing. But this is the idea that anti-hero, they, they, they might sort of do, accomplish some of the same things or act in some ways, but they're not going to do it the way a hero would. And so if we take this kind of understanding in the Antichrist, they're going to do some of the things that Jesus did. They're going to lead people. They're going to teach them. They're going to teach them lessons. I won't say truths. They're going to teach them lessons. 
Okay? But they're not going to do it as Jesus did and for the reasons that Jesus did. They're going to do it for selfish reasons. And so an Antichrist is not referring to Satan per se. That would be the, the villain, the, the opponent, the um, deceiver. Okay? But here John's talking about the Antichrist. These are people who are going to do some of the same things Jesus did but for totally wrong reasons and not ways that we should emulate and follow. So he gives us some warnings here and helps us, gives us some other teaching to help us understand um, what this is. And we start right in verse 18. Jump right in. Children, of course, this is John's uh, common address to his listeners, to the recipients of the letter. Again, reinforcing the f- um, family relationship that he feels and uh, wants to strengthen um, with them throughout this whole lesson. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So let's talk briefly about this idea of the last hour. Obviously, it's not the last hour of the clock. He was writing this letter, and then it had to be sent and delivered. If it was the last hour, he wouldn't have bothered to write it because the hour would be up before it would get to him. So obviously, he's using metaphorical language here, and uh, I don't think there's any reason to uh, um, belabor that point. Um, But... uh, this, this time he's referring to is the time of the church. Okay, There have been, as we look back through the history, um, particularly prior to this letter being written, there's lots of different ways of looking at it and breaking them up. There's value to a lot of different ones. I'm not going to pick in, you know, a, a favorite system or anything like that. We can talk about that during lunch if you want to get into that sort of stuff. I always enjoy getting in the weeds with them things. But if we look at things like the age of the, the law or Moses and then the prophets came, the time of the kings, you know, we had these different times. And then right before this, you know, we had the apostolic age. And during this time is when the apostles were here and they were teaching and writing and the New Testament was being um, written and disseminated and all this sort of stuff. But John is now, he's the last one. All the rest of them have died at this point. He's the last one. So he's saying this is the last hour, and now this is the church age. This is the time of the church. And, you know, he's saying this is the last hour. There's not going to be another one coming after this. This is it. So guess what? What hour are we in? We're in the last hour. We're still in that hour, that time, okay? So it's important for us to understand here that John is saying this is the last thing on the time calendar. Nothing else is going, there's not going to be any other ones coming. So if you hear a man go out in the desert and say, I heard from an angel, Moroni, that gave me special glasses and golden discs, and I have new revelation from God, and now we're changing. No, that's, that's not the case. The last hour was then, and we're still in that. If we hear people come in and say, there's a new apostolic reformation coming in, it's not. Okay, that time is over. We're in the time of the church, and John is saying this is the last hour. If someone comes in and contradicts that, then they are in error. We can correct them, but if they hold to that, then they're probably going to be some of the ones we're, he's warning against here. Okay, So this is the last hour, and uh, we need to be diligent for those who might come in and say, oh, 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 well, there's, there's, there's something new coming. There's a new, something changing. Something new is changing. It's not. So... As we see, this is the last hour. Um, he talks about Antichrist, which he, in Revelation, I'm not going to get into eschatology today or the end times. We can, again, do that. But he's not talking about a single Antichrist. He's saying there are actually many Antichrists. And uh, this may have been a new idea for them, certainly a new idea for some of us when we read this, that there can be many people who are these Antichrists. 
And we already talked a little bit about some of that. But he's going to spend the next you know, several verses expounding on these folks of what they are. And, but we see here that he says, therefore, because many antichrists have now come, because of that, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Okay, remember that Jesus himself told us that in those last times there will be those who will come and will be antichrist and will teach against and false prophets and teachers. So Jesus told that this was going to happen. And we're already seeing this. As remember, we talked about uh, in our introduction to 1 John, the error of the Gnostics who were coming in and twisting and specifically twisting about the truth of Jesus and who he was. And, uh, you know, was he really God or was he really man? And then the idea that we don't necessarily need to obey. Um, you, know, the, 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 you know, we talked about both of those earlier, so I won't go into labor that point either. But the point is, you know, when he says, uh, therefore, he could be, again, referring to something he had spoken to them personally about, but I think we see the writing, certainly Matthew is very clear in that, um, when he quotes the words of Jesus, chapter 24, verse 24, if you're taking notes and want to see that, where he says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. <clears throat> so uh, he's reminding them, hey, remember, we knew this was going to happen. Um, don't be surprised. But as he does this introduction, then he goes in and he starts describing, you know, it's fine throughout the name, but what does an Antichrist look like? And that's where my subheading comes in. They're leavers, liars, deniers, and non-abiders. All right, so verse 19, um, we see that uh, they leave. Um, they, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not, that they all are not of us. So let me first off say that this is not when he says they would have continued with us. This is not speaking about people who, for whatever reason, move towns or for whatever reason move to another Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Okay? Um, this is not, people have used this verse to say that, that if anybody ever leaves, we'll just cut them off. John says right here, if they were with us, if they were believers, they were Christians, they wouldn't have left. That is not what this is teaching. I want to prove that, but I want to make that assertion right up front that <clears throat> as we have had a number of our people go and join themselves to other churches, as they make that transition, that is not what they're saying, that they are in error or in sin in any way, shape, or form. If they were to go out and go to a, a, a church, of a heretical church, um, a church that's not Bible preaching, then they could be under this judgment. But just someone just going to another church for any of the reasons that people may do that during their life, you may find yourself in that situation at some point in the future. And I want to let you know that's not what he's speaking about here. Okay? Um, but it is interesting to say, recognize that these Antichrist folks, they were in the church at one point. They were associated with the church because you can't go out from us unless you were with us. All right? They're not just out there in isolation. Many of them will be in the church. Um, they once identified with the church, but they did leave. And why did they leave? Well, people who are anti-Christ, they won't abide sound doctrine. Uh, they may sometimes try to twist and work within a church body to corrupt that church body. 
And so it is a grace of God when that error is exposed. And if that person leaves, that is a grace and mercy of God that he protected the church from that error and this person who ultimately reveals themselves to not even be a Christian. Okay? But certainly someone who was trying to twist the doctrine and uh, change the teachings that they would receive from the beginning. So another point that is important to see here is that what happens from them as they go out, it's not a situation where they lose their salvation. So if someone is in the church and they're associated with the church and they attend and they may be passionate at times and they may uh, affirm things, they may pray, they may even teach or lead in a church. Okay, But when they, if they leave and deny that faith and walk away, then the Bible here is teaching that they didn't lose their salvation. Okay, It's that they were never saved to begin with. Okay, Almost like those anti-heroes. You know, this person, they were in the church, they were doing the things that, of Christ for a time, but it didn't change them. They were conforming for whatever personal reason that they felt they wanted to, path of least resistance, the way they were raised, you know, whatever things. You know, lots of reasons people act the way they act, but at some point they decide to leave. That's not a failure of, the, of God to finish what he began in that person's life. It is a revelation of the hypocrisy that they exhibited through the time that they were there. So I just want to stop and pause here for a moment and, and challenge anyone here. If, if, if you're here today and you're just kind of going through the motions, and I want you to hear the warning from Scripture today, that there are people here, there will be people in the visible church who are not Christians. There are people who will be sitting under the gospel, preaching every single Sunday, will be in our church associated week after week after week with Christians and with biblical um, in teaching and support who never internalize it. So I asked you this morning to examine yourself and f- are you in the faith? And sometimes that can be challenging, but John, that's what you've been teaching the whole time is that I'm writing these things that you'll know. You know? And so we've been talking about all this thing about your fellowship, your community, walking in darkness, confessing your sin, not that we're earning our salvation, in fact, he goes on in verse 25 and reminds us that with the promise from God that he made to us is the promise for eternal life. So he is the one who's going to fulfill that promise. So it's not, again, as I've said before, anything he says here doesn't be, need to be taken as conditional for salvation, but it is instructive for us to reflect and to recognize that some people will do things for their own reasons, for their own motives, and will not ultimately be converted. So... I just ask you to, uh, to search your heart, and if you find yourself lacking, then confess that to God. Even if you're like, I'm not even sure. Sometimes I'm so you know, conflicted in my own heart and mind. That's okay. But where does that confliction, where does that conflict drive you? Does it drive you away from God, or does it drive you more to him in prayer? You know, like the, the, the father whose son couldn't be healed by the disciples. And Jesus said, well, all things are possible for him who believes. And he said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. I still have unbelief in my heart on some level. So conflict is okay. You know, we're all human. We all have these challenges and struggles and things come up in our lives sometimes that make us wonder and question. But when we face those wonders and questions, do we run to the church? Do we run to the scriptures? Do we run to Jesus in prayer? Or do we run to social media or influencers or government programs or self-help. 
you know, that's some of the evidence of a Christian. If you leave the church when these things happen, then you're a believer. Don't do that. Stay. Let's talk. You know, if you have questions and doubts and concerns about your salvation, this is the place to have those conversations, to dig into the scriptures so we can encourage each other and pray with each other about these things and walk through that with you. Don't feel that you're, sometimes in church we feel like, well, I'm I'm being embarrassed. No reason to be embarrassed. All right, we've all been through those things. We've all um, been, we've all faced or will face challenges like that ourselves. So please don't be embarrassed. I mean, come talk to me. I'd love to you know, pray with you and talk with you about anything that you're going through. Um, but I just encourage you, please just don't go out from us. Please. He takes a break here um, in verse 20 and reassures them. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do here for you. Verse 20, we take reassurance, which is, of course, one of our core teachings from 1 John. And verse 20, he reminds him, but you... I know better things for you. I know that you guys have not gone out from us. And he's affirming the way his expectation is belief in them. You have been anointed by the Holy One. You all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So he's affirming this about his readers. Um, clearly, he rejects the idea that there's any of this hypocrisy with the people who he's writing to, with his children that he's writing to. Um, and he even says, you know, I wouldn't just write these things to just anyone. You know, but because you know the truth, we've spoken. I've been there. I've talked to you. You know, I've preached to you guys. I know you guys. Therefore, you can hear this truth. You can understand this idea. And you can receive it because you know the truth. And... Um, Therefore, he feels confident to write these things to them. This could be a confusing message to someone who doesn't know the truth. Okay? So, but he's, 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 um, he's in, inspired and encouraged to write these things because of his confidence in them. Now, this idea about you've been anointed by the Holy One. Anointing. What, what does this word come from? What do we think of when you hear the word anointing? We don't have a lot of anointing going on today. So this is an old word. What, what do we need when we say Anointing. Yeah, a direct quote there from when Moses poured the oil, anointed Aaron. And what was the whole process about? Sorry, I didn't mean you put you on the spot. Does anybody remember what this was referring to? When Moses poured the oil, was it a spill in the kitchen and it just hit his head and ran down his beard? Or what was this? Or was it an intentional thing? What was going on? Anointed for leadership as the first priest, okay, and instituting the priesthood and being set apart, okay? Um, So he was anointed for authority and he was anointed um, for uh, separation to be set apart. Um, So what other anointing took place? If you were anointed last week, okay, tell me. About, uh, most of these are going to be from biblical references, I think. This is where we're going to have to draw most of our understanding. Again, there's not a lot of anointing shops around here that I know of. Brittany. King David. Okay. Samuel anointed King David. So we see the priest, Aaron, and we see the King David. They were being anointed, again, for authority from God and being separated to the work of God. Um, We also saw Elijah, the prophet, anoint Elisha in the same way. Again, this idea of um, authority and 
being set apart for God's work. So this is what's informing John's readers. Remember, he's writing to the Jews. These are the Jewish Christians who know all the Old Testament um, you know, personalities and stories better than we do. But they certainly, when he talks about anointing, they're going to know what he's talking about. They're not going to have to sit here and scratch your head. They're not going to have to take off their church ears. They're going to be hearing it. Sometimes we anointing, we just gloss over it. So I want us to take a moment and think about that, that... We've been anointed by the Holy One. We have received authority from Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit. We have been set apart for kingdom work in the same way that the anointing took place in the Old Testament. So he uh, <clears throat> gives us this reassurance and says, listen, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you guys you may not, are, are, are not saved. Don't hear that. But he's talking again about community and some of those who would be leaving who might, may not, might not be saved. So it's a, a gut check. It's time for us to look and reply, but it's not for us to um, jump to conclusions and to think, well, suddenly now John's given us a new message that our salvation somehow depends on our performance because that's not what he's saying or doing. Uh, so um, he will continue to describe these antichrists, and he will continue um, because they know the truth, he will continue to um, warn them and to help us to avoid, confront, and correct and recognize this behavior. Um, just want to camp out here for a second. In order to do all those things, to confront, to understand, to correct, to resist these false teachings, these antichrists, we have to know the truth. We have to know the truth. It's not just enough to carry the truth in our pocket on our phone. We have to know it. It's not enough just to say, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've read it at one point. I sit under the preaching and the teaching weekly. That's not enough. Even, it's not even enough to say, well, I read my CBR journal most days or you know, half the time. Okay, We're in Mark now. It's going to be a great study. If you're falling off, I hope you jump back in and catch up. I love the gospel of Mark. Um, Revelation can be a little bogged down. If you get a little bogged down in Revelation and you, you fell off the wagon, that's okay. Pick back up. Um, we just started uh, with, with Mark. We're not very far along. Knowing the truth, God's word is truth. We have to know it. We weren't just born knowing it. We can't sleep with a, pillow under, a Bible under our pillow and let it soak in. All right. We can't even put on headphones and go to sleep with and have it play for the next eight hours and have it go in. I'm not saying that wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, sometimes I even do that. But we can't say, well, I'm checking that box. Knowing takes work and effort. All right. You know, I used to work for, for 25 years. I worked as a pharmacist. I couldn't just go sign up for classes and then four years later go in and expect to be ready to practice pharmacy. But I, 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 signed, I paid for my classes. I didn't learn anything. I didn't know anything. I wouldn't have known anything unless I, what? Went to classes. I could even sit in classes. And <laughs> there was one class that was very dull and dry and first thing in the morning, and I would sometimes sleep during the class. And uh, I remember one time the professor even said, I wish you'd go back to sleep. I'd woken up and asked some question. He thought, anyway, he was a little... Side story, but just going to class wouldn't guarantee you, right? Just coming to the church on Sunday wouldn't guarantee, oh, well, you're knowing the truth, all right? It's got to be something we're engaged with, something that we are pursuing, something that we are actively studying and learning. We're going to talk more about that, but I just wanted to say here, the very foundation for him writing this letter is the fact that they knew the truth. 
And so that's where we need to be. Um, I don't have time to get into I wanted to park on truth because, again, truth is a church word we sometimes gloss over. But just summarize briefly, truth is reality. What is real? Okay? And our society today is based on a lot of lies. Um, but uh, the truth is, is found in Scripture. Um, it, it is the instruction for us. Um, and it will guard us against truth and error that comes out there. Speaking of that, the next description that he gives, the, the Antichrist, are not just leavers. They are also liars. Verse 21, continuing on, no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but who, he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Characteristics of truth, truth is unchanging. Okay? The truth's not going to be one thing yesterday, another thing today, and another thing tomorrow. Lies, they're always changing. They are always changing because you've got to be uh, flexible with them. You've got to be fluid. You've got to be changed. What did I tell? What did I tell this person? And you've got to make all your lies fit. And eventually you're going to have this web of lies, and then they're going to start snapping, and you're going to be left with nothing. It's just the nature of lies. They are constantly changing. The truth doesn't have to worry about that because it's what's real. It's what's true, and it's not going to change. And if you're standing on the truth, you're standing on a solid foundation. Back even as far as the garden, what was Satan's first word to Eve? Did God actually say? Lies, you know, from the very beginning. Um, again, we're talking back to the errors that John is referring to and that was concerned about in this church. It was the Gnostic lies. We've referenced those. But certainly these things, they sound kind of similar. You know, they take some language from the truth, but then they twist it. And they... Uh, 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 wreck it and conform it to their own purpose. Um, these lies ultimately, uh, the, the ultimate lie is about the he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And that was the, one of the errors of the Gnostics. And so it may start off not sounding like that, but ultimately if you start pressing and pressing, lies are going to go to the point they're going to ultimately even question if Jesus is who he said he was. Now, this is not talking about disagreements on secondary issues or your know, tertiary biblical issues. You know, we may have, you know, you know great Bible-believing, God-fearing brothers and sisters in Christ who differ with us about end times or differ with us about the, the, the method and mode and time of baptism. Some of these things can be, you know, secondary that we can still um, embrace and love. But who is the liar but he, the liar... Okay, as far as the Antichrist is he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. There are certain things we just got to be close-handed about. We're going to hold on to that no matter what. We're not going to let go. We're not, it's not open for discussion. These things are clearly taught in Scripture, and they are fundamentals to the faith. There's other things we can be open-handed about, you know, and say, listen, you know, here's the, what the Bible says about it. Here's how I believe. Share with me your thoughts and your beliefs. So I see what you're saying, and we can wrestle with Scripture, and there are certain things we can be open-handed, but there are certain things that we can't church. There are certain things that we have got to hold to, <clears throat> and certainly Jesus is the Christ is at the very foundation of that. As I was saying, you know, our society, of course, is built on lies, um, and I don't have time to get into all the, all the lies our society is built on, but I've talked about them before, um, and I just say, church, we need to be diligent, vigilant, and um, bold in calling out these lies 
in resisting these lies, not just going along with them. And I encourage you that, you know, we don't have to be ugly about it and mean about it and mean-spirited about it, but as these lies are out there and we can confront them, those can be great gospel conversations. We do not need to be shy about these things. We need to be engaging with our culture. And when they are saying things that are diametrically opposed to Scripture, those are opportunities for us to say, well, I don't really believe that. Can you tell me why you think that? Let me tell you why I think this. And we can lead into a gospel conversation um, when people are eager to talk about the hot issues of the day. They're eager to talk about them with people. And they can become passionate about them. And sometimes it's hard to maintain a, uh, um, a calm demeanor and a Christ-like attitude. Uh, but I do encourage you, don't shy away from those things. Um, again, knowing the truth. Educate yourself on these things so that you can have intelligent discussions with people. And I believe as we pursue those things, God will bless those conversations. Uh, of course, we even see these lies aren't... There was a time where... The lies that were really obvious were relegated to unbelievers. But unfortunately, it's become so pervasive that even now those lies are even coming into churches. And so it's not just a us versus them anymore. It is, hey, even within ourselves, we've got to be diligent against these things. And as they were having the, this Gnostic teaching, the Gnosticism coming in and creeping into the church, and John had to squash it, we've got to be diligent for these same ideas that come into the church. Um, and we must be faithful in asking God to protect our church and reveal the truth to us. Give us um, eyes of, uh, that, that we can perceive um, these, true, these, fake, these false teachings that come in. So we see that the Antichrist is someone who's a lever, who's a liar. And they're also deniers. Um, as we just read, um, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? The lying is closely tied to the denying. Verse 22 goes on to say, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is serious. Okay, this is not a casual thing. This is as, as firm and as clear as John gets. It's just spelled out. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You can't say, well, I, I follow God, I'm a believer of God, but he's just everything. He's no, and Jesus wasn't really, I mean, all the, these, there's some good men out there, but all roads lead to, no. If you're denying Jesus, then you are denying God. Now, you may have a little G God that you are worshiping and an idol that you are following, but the God of the, the creator of the universe, the God of the Bible, you can't accept him and reject Jesus. And it goes the other way, too. Some people say, well, Jesus was a great man. I like him. I like his teaching. Some of his stuff was good, but I'm not real religious. I don't really, you know, I, you know, I don't really hold all this stuff. You've got to take it all or none, okay? Um, we can't pick and choose with Scripture. Scripture doesn't give us that opportunity, that option. Why? Because Jesus affirmed it all. You know, he said not one jot or tittle, not one least little pen stroke will depart Okay, um, until it's all been accomplished. He affirmed it all. So if you're going to say, I'm a follower of him, I believe in him, well, you've got to affirm it all. He didn't really leave us that option to take just certain parts that we wanted. And so in, there's a real sense in which if we deny any, then we are denying him. Moving on quickly, sake of time, the final one is a little bit of an inference that Antichrists are non-abiders. He actually talks about us abiding, um, so I'm kind of 
saying if, if those who are truly Christian abide, then the, the Antichrist would not abide. And it kind of flowed a little better, easier for us to remember. Um, so uh, non-abiders, hope you'll grant me that uh, poetic license there. Again, he takes a kind of shifts gears on us here in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Sounds easy enough, right? Let what you heard from the beginning, the truth of the gospel, your beginning of your spiritual journey, of your following Jesus, when you heard and understood the gospel, let that abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. So verse 24 there, let's talk about this for a second. We let the truth abide in us. Great, how do we do that? Again, this is some of that church lingo that I've been pushing against during this series. That abide, oh yeah, we sing about it. We sing, sing that abide song, I love that song. Teach me to abide, right? Okay, let, what, let it abide. How do we do that? Come on, let's, let's, let's brainstorm for a minute. What does this mean? How, how do we... Rest in. So to let it rest in us. Okay. I think abiding has this idea of resting, of no conflict. That when you're abiding with someone, you're in harmony. You're getting along. Okay. You can coexist or cohabit with people. Okay, <laughs> um, and that can be a lot of stress and tension and friction and pushback and arguing and disagreement. Um, but for me, I think abiding does have this idea of rest and peace. Um, I, I would agree with that. Um, what else? Intimate connection. Okay, um, yeah, I like that. I, th- I think abide definitely communicates that to me in a sense. Stanley? Practicing it. Yeah, so I think this is getting you know, the direction I want us to go. These are great ideas, but practical, practical. What, what, what does it look like? How do we do that? Do we tattoo it on ourselves and let the ink abide in our skin? Some do, Some do. and maybe that serves as a reminder. Unless it's on your back, then you can't even see it, but, you know, whatever. Um, just give me a T-shirt, you know. <laughs> but I think the idea of practicing, I think that's one way, that when someone is abiding, you're in its presence, and so you walk that out. I think that's certainly some way. What are some other ways? Seek him first, right? If we're not actively pursuing Jesus and the truth of Scripture, then it's not going to be in us, right? In order for it to abide in us, we've got to put it in us. We've got to be in the Word. Again, our, our, I love the fact that we as a church pursue this community Bible reading, um, but it's, it doesn't do any good just to have it on our phone. We've got to be seeking Him. We've got to be in the Word. And you know, most readings, if you put it on, auto, um, on the audio version, it's going to take you less than five minutes to listen to it. And hey, if that's all you can do one day, hey, please do that. Okay, but that should be a starting point. That shouldn't be the end of your abiding in the truth for that day. That should be the starting point for it. The floor, the basement, 
very bare minimum. And then from that, we should be growing and inviting God to work in our lives, to be meditating on these things, not just to read or listen, but to go deeper, to think about, have an intimate connection, like Andrew said. You know, they have this idea where it begins to work in us and we become at peace and allow that. We don't resist and push back against it, that we walk out what it tells us to, that we put it into practice, all these things. So for me, I came down to that we read or listen, study, we meditate and dwell, we discuss, okay? Um, Let me ask you this question. How many people here know how to turn on a light? If it gets dark in here, you're going to turn on a light. Uh, Who knows who here can tell me what happens when you turn on the light? Adele, are you are you volunteering? Who, who wants to, who wants to try to tell me what happens when you turn on the light switch? I saw a couple hands back here in the middle. Okay, you, let me see if somebody else wants to. I, anybody? I saw a couple hands. Now the hands are coming down. Why is that? Oh oh oh! Another brave soul. Okay, Wesley, what do you think happens when you turn on the light? Light turns on. Shallow enough that a child can bathe in it. Amen. Absolutely. So what what happens though? How does the light come on? Don't know. What's happened? The electricity is restored. restored. What's that mean? (laughs) Andrew? So you put the switch in the circuit that goes into the circuit, and then it'll travel, and basically... It will travel? The switch will travel? (laughs) I knew he was going to say that. No, the switch that uh, turns on the gate activates the electricity going through it. Completes the circuit, allowing electricity to flow. Very good. It heats up due to what? Why does it heat up? Ah, do you have anything else to add? Or? That's right, that's right. And then you get so the switch, it completes the copper circuit. And actually, you know, I can go a little deeper. The filament in there, if you're talking about incandescent bulbs, the filament in there actually resists the electricity, and that causes friction as the electricity is flowing through, and that causes it to heat up. That's friction. Like we do this, only it heats up a lot more than that, and so it then begins to glow because it's so hot. It becomes literally white hot in this gas-sealed bulb. So you see that we can just go flip on a light switch, but as we start to discuss it, then we kind of refine our understanding of it. And we realize, you know, I don't really know as much as I thought I knew about lights. I'm like, Wesley, I just flip it and it comes on. <laughs> and that's good. That's, that's the most important thing to know. But there are deeper truths. So the scripture's the same way. We can just read over something and say, oh yeah, let the truth let, let it abide in us what, you know, what we heard from the beginning. Good, move on. But we start digging in there like, wait, what does this really mean? And discussion is a great way to reveal a lack of understanding and to gain understanding. You can have a discussion, and we can, talk, we can talk further and deeper, and ultimately people can ask questions that we cannot answer about lights. That's just a fact. Because light is a mystery. Scientists, they can't describe it. I can talk about that too, but I don't have time. Um, but when we discuss, iron sharpens iron. 
And so we understand more and deeper things, you know, when we create space and opportunity for us to share with each other. So that's why our DNA times are so important to be discussing things we're reading in the Word and to be talking with these things and bouncing ideas and asking questions. That's how we grow. That's one of the ways to abide. And then finally, to share it with those, to be salt and light, because you can't share something you don't really understand. Um, you can't teach something you don't really understand. So once we're ready to then share it, then we're like, yeah, I really do have a, a confidence. I really do understand it is significant to me, and I want to share this with those around us. Again, this is not required for salvation. Verse 25 reminds us the promise that he, God, made to us that eternal life, not dependent on us, you know, meeting some minimum threshold of biting or anything. You know, we're in Christ. We're affirming those things. But this is about community, another one of our core teachings in 1 John, the fellowship with the Father, walking in the light. This is, again, what he's referring to. And he's contrasting that, of course, with the Antichrist, who won't abide it, won't let the truth abide, and therefore they deny it. Um, The confidence is that as we allow it to abide, we will be abiding in God the Father, the Son. So verse uh, 27, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. So this is the idea that the Holy Spirit, um, the means of this anointing um, in our hearts, he does abide in us as we study, as we learn. He will reveal us the truth. So we don't need someone to, you know, the apostolic age is ending you know, and we're in the last hour, but church, don't be fearful. We have the comforter. We have the Holy Spirit who will lead us into all truth, who will reveal these truths to us. So we don't need Paul to still come by and teach. John's in his later days. I'm, you don't need me to keep coming and teaching you. You've got the Holy Spirit. Listen to it. Follow it. It will confirm and affirm what we have taught as you study these scriptures. It will not Um, ever contradict it. So if you see a spirit that's contradicting, that is the spirit of Antichrist. As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you about in him. So don't don't draw this too broadly. He doesn't teach us math and English and history. Uh, He teaches us things in this context um, relating to our spiritual growth. So, of course, Antichrist refused to abide um, in the triune God. And then verse 26, John takes one of his moments where he uh, often does several times. He's talking and talking and talking. He says, listen up, here's what I'm saying. Verse 26, we say, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Okay? Antichrist will try to deceive you. They're not going to be content to just go on their own. They're going to want to have followers with them. Remember this anti-hero, anti-Christ kind of thing? Jesus says he had followers. All these antichrists are going to want to have followers. They're going to do it for, you know, to build themselves up. And how are you going to build yourself up? You're going to have a following. And so they're going to try to actively deceive you. Um, this idea of, oh, everybody just be tolerant. It only goes one way. You tolerate me. Oh, how about you tolerate us? No, I don't want to do that. I've got to squash you. I've got to deceive you. I've got to lead you to follow me. Everybody has to affirm you know, the error. The people in error never want to have that be a two-way street where they're tolerant of the truth. So it's a warning. You know, John's saying, listen, all the stuff I'm writing, let's be super clear. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
is one of his times he likes to do that. He likes to stop and, and get their attention and say, listen, here's the crux. Don't miss the point. And that is the point, that there are people who are actively going to deceive us, and we must have the truth, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God be our source, be our foundation, be our rule for um, life and godliness. So in closing, a couple questions. You know, what about you today? Ask you to reflect and examine yourself. Do you know the truth, or are you listening to lies? I could talk about there's a lot of lies out there. You know, um, there are spiritual, theological lies. There are, you know, evil, worldly lies. There are a lot of lies out there. Are you engaging with those? Are you studying those and learning in those? Um, it, it's fine to learn about them, but is that where you're getting your um, advice, your wisdom, your input? I hope not. Um, I hope we're, you're constantly in the Word and getting advice from, from godly counsel. Uh, but if not, then today I would ask you to, to reflect on that. Um, you're here today, and I'm glad. Uh, but John's telling us, you know, there were antichrists who were in the church at one point too. So um, I don't want to have anybody come in a year from now or five years from now and say, oh, yeah, so-and-so used to sit right there. They're not, even the, they're not even in the faith anymore. I wouldn't want that for any of you. I pray against that. So I ask you this morning to examine yourself. Do you know the truth? Not have you heard it, have you read it, have you sat under the teaching, but is it who you are? Do you affirm that? Or on some level, are you still denying or questioning? Questioning's okay. Let's talk about it. Let's chop it up. Let's take a look and see. Let's get it into the scriptures. Are you pursuing the truth? Or are you inviting and accepting error into your life? Next question, do you accept Jesus Christ? You know, are you a Christian? Do, do you affirm him or do you deny him? Does the Antichrist deny him both in word and in deed? And again, you're here, so on outwardly, it looks to us like you're accepting him. And I praise God for that testimony. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion. And again, um, proclaim and remember what he has done for us. And I, I thank God every time I see our church come and do that because I believe that everyone is sincere and is true. But I just want to take a moment in light of this passage today and just put it out there. Do you follow him? Do you accept him? Not just on Sundays, but in your words, in your deeds, throughout the week. Um, you know, I heard it said when I was little, you know, a preacher one time said, if you were put on trial for being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were to put on trial and they said, ah, we think this guy's a Christian. All right, bring forth the evidence. Well, I saw him in church sometimes on Sunday. Okay, anything else? No, not really. Don't let that be your testimony. Brother, sister, this morning, we need to be salt and light so that our good is, cannot be evil spoken of. So if we're put on trial for Christianity, we'll have a slew of people coming in. Absolutely, he's a Christian. I can't get him to stop talking about Jesus. He brings that Bible with him everywhere he goes. He always talks. That, that, that should be what we should strive for. That should be how we live our life so that there is no question that we are following him, body, mind, and soul, so that everyone around us knows that, and it's clear in our words and deeds. And finally, do you abide in the truth? Are you at peace with it? Is it in you? Do you put it in you and allow it to abide there? Do you accept it and have an intimate relationship with it? Do you read, study, 
meditate, discuss, and share the truth? Are you, this is an effort. Are you working to cultivate it in your life? 